I'm Reverend Markel Hutchins, Chairman and CEO of Movement Forward Incorporated and a civil and human rights leader based in Atlanta, Georgia. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the controversial topic of race relations, Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and what white Americans should be doing to make a difference on these issues. This is an important discussion you don't want to miss. Here's what I'm curious about. In the midst of 2020 civil unrest, is the answer to defund the police? If so, what would that actually look like? If it's not, what is the answer? Well, that's what we're going to sink our teeth in today. Welcome to another delicious episode of Curiosity Bites. I'm your host, Dov Barron. I am the Dragonist. Find out how you can hire me as a speaker, strategist, or executive advisor for yourself or your organization. Simply go to DoveBaron.com. All right, let's jump down on this episode. As we record this, civil unrest is in the streets at a level not seen since the 1960s. In 2016, despite massive denial that it could ever happen, a reality TV star and business icon became President Donald Trump. Now, some might argue that Trump himself is a racist. Others would argue that he just made it safe for the dark underbelly of racism to surface. It's also reasonable to argue that Trump is a sexist or many other plethora of other things that uh, may not seem presidential. But one thing is for sure, the U.S. seems to be more divided, more tribal than ever. However, standing in the middle of all that are the police. And research has shown that the majority of the public favor giving civilians the power to sue the police officers for misconduct. In case you didn't know, there is a legal doctrine of qualified immunity, which generally protects officers from being held personally liable for lawsuits in, uh, unless they committed direct violation of the law. However, the legislation uh, that were uh, to address this uh, racism and excessive uh, enforcement is stalled in Congress. There's a broad public support of the U.S. Uh, you know, permitting citizens to sue police officers. So that's right there. The police... The police are looking more military than ever before. That's topped off with the unarmed police killing people in the street. And there's a backlash, of course, to defund the police. But I'm curious, is that the answer? If it's not, what is? What is the truth? What are the lies of the situation? And what are we going to do to sink our teeth into this issue? Well, that's what we're going to sink our teeth in today on this episode. Our guests on this episode are the Reverend Markel Hutchins. He is a noted minister, social justice advocate, having been mentored by many civil rights icons, including the late Coretta Scott King and Congressman John Lewis. Reverend Markel is one of the nation's most prominent next-generation human and civil rights leaders. He currently serves as chairman and CEO of the Atlanta-based Movement Forward, Inc., as well as a National Faith and Blue Weekend that recently was held in October of 2020. National Faith and Blue Weekend was the most collaborative police community engagement project in American history. Our other guest is the esteemed Tom Smith. Tom is a pilot, an entrepreneur with a personal mission to make policing safer. Tom has over 25 years of experience launching innovative technologies into innovative technology solutions, particularly in the law enforcement space. Most notably, he is the co-founder of Taser. You may have heard of those. Taser International. 
which is now Axion Enterprises. He currently is the president and uh, acting CEO of Rap Technologies, Inc., scaling domestic and international sales of the Bowler Wrap, which is a remote restraining device for law enforcement and, secure, and security agencies worldwide. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me to welcome the president of Rap Technologies and the visionary behind One Congregation, One Precinct Initiative, or One Cup, the new dynamic duo, the Reverend Marco Hutchins and Tom Smith. Come on now, let's enjoy it. Thank you for having us on. This is a, it's no more important topic in the country right now than what we're talking about today. I couldn't agree more. Welcome to both of you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having us. It's, it's a pleasure. I'm really excited about dealing with this subject. But you know where we always start, where we like to start the show, is by asking both of you independently, what are you most curious, what do you find yourself most curious about right now? And I'll tell you why I ask it, because the name of the show, of course, is Curiosity Bites, but it's based on my philosophy. And I believe that curiosity is the cure for the world. We could talk about more love, better communication, but if we don't, and we're not willing to be curious about the other side, we can never get past the things that we were stuck in being right. So what do you find yourself most curious about right now? Either one of you can go first. I'll start. I'm most curious about what people in communities of every kind think are the actual solutions to the challenges that face our country now with regard to race and justice. We are in an unprecedented political season where we are seeing divisions like we've never seen before, including in the 1960s. And I, I am really curious about how people in local communities see our coming together to get past this moment in American history. And I do believe sincerely that that curiosity, the solutions to the challenges we face are in local communities. People have the answers. We just have to find the wherewithal to bring them together to figure out how, how we move forward as a country. Markel, do you think that the people in, in not necessarily rural, but smaller communities, even smaller urban communities, do you think that they see these problems differently than large cities or even uh, large voices, meaning, you know, uh, police forces or Congress or whatever it might be? Do you think they see it differently? They absolutely see it differently. And they see it differently because their lives and, are, and their experiences their daily challenges, their historic impediments to their own progress and growth as an individual are directly related to where they live, where they grew up, where they come from, how they were educated, how their thoughts and ideas and perspectives have been formulated. So uh, absolutely, the, the, the challenge that we have is getting folks in small and rural communities and folks in large and major cities to see the commonalities of interest. And that's, I think, where uh, this idea of curiosity comes forth and says to us, our solutions are, are in that space and in that place. Wonderful. Thank you. Tom, what do you find yourself curious about these days, most curious about these days? Well, I'm curious along the same lines of what Reverend Markle just mentioned, because we've, you know, in the history of mankind, there's been conflict. And from the old days where the caveman had a baton, we applied technology to make it collapsible. From the technology of a food ingredient that you put on to spice your food up, pepper spray, 
that has now become something I can throw into your face to hurt you. Mm -hmm. So everything has been about advancing technology to, uh, to be able to put a hurt on somebody to stop a confrontation rather than is there a different approach that we can use through better training, discussions. Uh, Reverend Mark and I have talked about this many times about we have lost humanity. Uh, Doug, you and I were talking about this earlier. The humanity between a disagreement is gone. If I don't agree with your position, it becomes that you're the enemy, not, hey, you just have a different view of your position. And, and as Reverend yeah. Markle just said, each community member is going to have a different view. And this is not going to be solved at a federal level. This is not going to be solved even at a state level. This is going to be solved in the community where you interact and where you live. And again, using technology, using better training, you know, you, you mentioned defunding police. I, in fact, think there's more funding because what they do, like any government process, is the minimum possible available because of funding that they can to get away with being able to do something. You know, it, it, even you look at Hollywood, we have seen what's possible, right? Like the way we stop people today is the same way where they fought the Revolutionary War, which is you fire a higher piece of lead at velocity to do damage to somebody. Why can't we have, you know, the, the taser background, we started that looking at why can't we make the Star Trek phaser that just stuns somebody, it doesn't hurt them. And even with the bola wrap, looking at Hollywood with Spider-Man or Batman, is there a way to stop somebody without having to use pain compliance? And especially somebody that's in crisis, they're, they're not acting logically. You cannot right. have a logical discussion. Uh, and so I'm curious about how can we use technology and better approaches to bring humanity back and to stop people from confrontation without hurting them. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think there's a lot, even in what you just said there, Tom, to unpack um, in the context of how we, we confront things. Because, I mean, let's just start right here. Um, some of our, our viewers and listeners understand that my background um, being in psychology and in persuasion and understanding the, the higher technologies of psychology. Um, one of the great challenges is, and we, I talked about this on a previous episode um, that was released. The problem is under stress, the different um, senses will shut down. So, you know, five cops are shouting at a guy to put the knife down and put the gun down. And the problem with that is that that person can't hear them. So they hear, why aren't you listening to me? Why aren't you listening? To me? And then they shoot because the person doesn't put the gun down, but they can't hear. That actually, it sounds like, you know, I think it's, I didn't grow up here, but I think it's like peanuts, I think it's called. And it's like, <laughs> right? it's just a muffled noise. They don't actually hear what's going on. And so they're an adrenal response. And in that adrenal response, you know, the, the body doesn't respond in the way that it does. They, all the blood goes to the arms and the legs and they want to run away or at. They don't hear, put the knife down. And that seems to me, let's, let's just take the weaponry out for a moment. At a, you know, if we're going to, it's my, my, my thoughts, it's not the truth. If we're going to change the funding of the police, let's say, not say defund, but change the funding, maybe the funding needs to be at a psychological level of the cop needs to understand that, right? <laughs> the, because the cop is also in that space. The cop is also adrenal responsive. And the SEALs say, rely on the training. I mean, you know, you get into a combat environment, we've had SEALs on the program, and, and you just fall back into the training. 
But if, the, if you didn't have the training, you fall into the adrenal response. I, I, um, I, I want to come to, to, to the Reverend and I want to talk a little bit from your point of view about what's going on because um, you know, you are, you are a minister, you're out there in, in that world. Um, and you know, a lot of, I'm going to be controversial here because I am. Um, and that is that a lot of this, um, what we're seeing seems to be on both sides, by the way, but seems to be fueled sometimes in church in a place that I would like to see peace in, in a places where, you know, um, I studied, uh, Gnostic and, and, uh, Coptic Christianity. Uh, there was nothing about, um, the enemy in any of that stuff. And, you know, a lot of what's going on is this hyper hyperbolic language around the enemy that I really, really upsets me. And, and it doesn't bring peace. I know that you, um, you were best known for the work you did with a family of a 92-year-old woman who was shot and killed by the Atlanta police during a botched-up drug raid. And that is a lot of what we're seeing here. I mean, just botched-up policing, you know, aside from George Floyd, and, you know, I mean, it's just gone on forever. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the congregation in the you know is it adversarial is it are they looking at police with compassion and saying these poor buggers don't even know what they're confronting and and that all the people they're confronting i really want to hear from your point of view on that i think what we're seeing and hearing and feeling is restlessness people sure. are restless and they're yep. anxious and they're confused and most importantly People are afraid because I think most Americans, without regard to where you come from or your political perspective, most Americans actually appreciate law enforcement because most people recognize when you have a car accident, when you have a loved one who's in distress, you have to call 911 and most likely it's going to be a law enforcement professional that responds. Most people understand that the vast and overwhelming majority of law enforcement professionals in our country go to work and they do a good job at protecting sure. and serving. The question becomes, how do we make our system of policing fairer, more just, more yes. equitable? That's the, that is the question that's on the minds of people of every kind. So I think what you have now is the vast and overwhelming majority of the people that are associated with faith-based organizations are altruistic, they're community-minded, they're communal, communally-minded. So yes. what, we, what we're doing with our work, with Faith in Blue Weekend, our One Cop program, and all of our work is bringing the assets of those faith-based organizations to bear with law enforcement to change the perspectives. We talk about training so much but the truth is America has the best and most highly trained law enforcement professionals today than any period in American history. And we have the best trained officers in the human in the world and in the history of time. But there's only so much you can do to train a person in a classroom or to train, train them in an academy. We can train their minds or their skills, but we have to do something more than that. We have to train their hearts and their consciousness. 
that can't happen through an academy. It, that has to happen through human engagement, through human experience. All of us carry uh, bias and fears and prejudice of some sort. Again, of reverting back to our previous conversation, uh, a lot of that is driven by where you grew up, what your perspectives were in your rearing. So all of us carry some degree of bias and those bias can all only be overcome when we come into contact, into relationship with people about which uh, that are subjected or the subjects of our bias, which is why we focus so much on causing the law enforcement professionals and local communities to get to know the people that they're policing and vice versa, causing those people to get to know their law enforcement professionals. When those relationships come to bear, when they come into being, we see a consistent decline in controversies and tensions because the fear is decreased on both sides. Uh, I've said this many times, Brother Barron, uh, it is very easy to fear those that you do not know, but it really is difficult to fear those that you do know. It's difficult to hate up close. So what we have to focus on as a nation is causing each other to turn to one another and not against one another. And I think what, what the faith-based organizations in our country should be doing is getting engaged, getting involved, not picking one side or another. We can scream and yell at each other all day long, as we've seen over the last couple of years, and we continue to see an increase in police-involved controversies. We continue to see an increase in assaults and attacks on officers and good law enforcement professionals leaving the profession. So as I, I, I agree with Tom wholeheartedly, we have to apply our technological and, and philosophical and in uh, um, our ideas and the technologies and the developments that we have acquired over time, apply them to policing across the board. And I think we will see a better and brighter future. And I think that's going to happen. We've never had a period in American history where we grew and developed and matured as a nation that did all that was not precipitated by crises. The darkest hour is always just before the break of day. We're in a dark hour in America today, but we're going to see better days ahead. But we have to continue to turn to each other and not on each other the way we've seen in the last several months. Well, I certainly agree with you that um, the darkness it, it, it always precedes the light, no doubt about that. And that crises is usually, um, breakdown is usually re, uh, the prerequisite for breakthrough. Absolutely agree with Absolutely. that. Um, but I want to push back a little bit on something you said, because I I have friends in, in, uh, in law enforcement, and I don't think that the, the, the United States police are the greatest police force in the world. I think they're pretty terrible. I think they're pretty terribly trained. Um, and what I mean by that is not um, not at a sense of, uh, even at their, their fault sense, but at a sense of, like you said, they're not trained uh, to be in that community. They're not trained in that way. And they're certainly not trained in the psychology of the things 
that I just spoke about, like an adrenal response. Let me, let me be clear. I, I didn't say best trained. I said most highly trained. If I said most best trained, trained okay. I mean, Good point. most Thank highly. And, that's, and, and if I said best trained, that is a, a slip of the tongue. I mean, most no. highly trained. And you what I mean by trained. that, what I mean by that is they spend most of, the, they spend a great deal of time in the academy learning the tools and the, the tricks of law enforcement, but you're absolutely right. And that's what I mean when I say there's a difference in training their hands and yeah. training their hearts. That's completely different. So you're absolutely right. We suck in America at training the hearts, dealing with the subconscious bias and bigotries and the humanity that should be required of every law enforcement professional. I, I say this all the time. Every law enforcement professional in America should have some formal education and, 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 and some exposure. They should have a mental health and wellness counselor. They should go through a psychological evaluation constantly. So I think we're on the same page, but in terms of the shift and focus, what we have been advocating, and there's probably not a civil rights leader in America that has the ear of law enforcement the way that I do. And we have been consistently advocating to our law enforcement partners across this country that we have to do a better job of training the hearts and the minds of every police officer and every law enforcement professional, because if we don't, we will continue to see the kinds of tragedies that we've seen with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and the assaults and attacks that we've seen on law enforcement professionals across the board. Everybody is losing right now. Crime yeah. is going up in the aftermath of George Floyd. Crime in major cities and in smaller communities are on the rise. Yeah. So everybody is losing. We have to slow down, take a breath, and as you suggest, reevaluate and reimagine public safety altogether. And that does not mean defunding the police. And look, uh, Bro Baron, I am I am one who believes in words as you do. Words matter. So when you hear something like defunding the police, that is, I believe, intentionally inflammatory and regressive. If I we're agree. talking about uh, reimagining public safety, allocating dollars for um, uh, alternatives to uh, incarceration or arrest, uh, bringing on, on, on health, public health or mental health professionals, uh, and, and basically reimagining public safety, absolutely we should be doing that as a nation. But I agree with Tom, we have to have better funded police because we have to better train them, we have to better equip them, we have to better resource them, we have to help them to become healthy and remain healthy and whole and well mentally. Every law enforcement professional in America should have a bowler wrap so that the gun is not the only way that they can can uh, exact and, and, and bring someone into custody. Uh, but, but those things require additional funding. What we need to be talking about is how we can get more funding to police and to public safety, not well, taking I think it away. It's, it's, it's not just more funding, but it's, as you said, more correctly allocated Absolutely. in the right way. And that sort of brings me back to Tom here, Tom, because um, one of the things that stands out for me is, um, of course, I live in North America and have done for more than 30 years. But I came here from Australia and I was born in the UK. And I lived in the UK till I was 21 years old. And uh, in my time living in the UK, cops didn't carry guns. 
Um, uh, but people didn't have as many guns. And, you know, there's an argument to say, you know, the Second Amendment is never going away in the United States. The U.S. is very attached to their guns. Personally, I don't think that's a good thing, but I understand it. I do understand it, and I have compassion for it. I understand it. But at the same time, the violence in the streets has got a lot to do with the level of guns and the level of anxiety and stress that comes along with that. You, you know, you talked about this idea of a phaser uh, on stun that became the taser. Um, was that was that actually catalyzed by seeing the violence in the streets um, and the response by law enforcement, or was it? Like, I really want to know the sort of uh, have a sense of the um, moral, uh, psychological driver towards uh, the taser. Or was it like, oh, this is good shit. We could make some money, <laughs> which is okay too. But let's, you know, let, let, let's, let's get real. So when we were growing up, um, my mom was living at home with us and my dad started to commute out of town. So uh, you know, we're in the Southwest desert, Southwest in Phoenix. And my dad took a job up in San Francisco. So he was commuting out of town. And mm -hmm. when my brother and I went off to school, we looked at the, our particular neighborhood actually had a, a, a big problem with crime. It was called the rock burglar. And he was breaking into homes by throwing a rock through the window. And to this day, they've never caught him, but it was like, it was happening on a very regular basis. So my dad said, okay, I'm going to be commuting. Mom's going to be home alone because the kids are gone. What do I get her to protect herself? She needs sure. something to protect herself. And so we looked at, um, you know, pepper spray. She sprayed herself, so we took that away. We put her through firearm safety school with somebody that I think was Rambo, because not only did he say you empty the gun, you reload it and empty it a second time. So she was not comfortable with that solution. In fact, ironically, my dad uh, or my brother bought her a Desert Eagle 44 because it was, a, you know, it was when Clint Eastwood made popular in the movie. She never touched it. So what we ended up doing for mom's protection. Hold on a sec. I got to put a pause on you. Um, so did you grow up in a Hollywood movie, in a, com a violent comedy, or did you grow up in a family? This Rambo is teaching your mom how to use Clint Eastwood's gun while she sprays herself in the face That's with hilarious. pepper spray. That this is, is a comedy, mate. I want to watch this movie. Well, it gets better because what we bought her for self-protection was a Doberman pincher. Oh, my God. <laughs> Ironically, they ended up with about seven of them because they got into dog showing. But the point <laughs> at the technology and, and we've had all these advances. We put man on the moon. We've had advances in medicine and everywhere else. We've had advances in technology, but we hadn't, didn't have advancements in self-defense, like I mentioned earlier. And Reverend, you were going to make a comment? I was going to say it, uh, it's amazing to hear that, that story, Tom, because it really, what, what I hear is uh, uh, when, when Rambo and Clint Eastwood didn't work, Scooby-Doo did work. And it's just, that's hilarious. But uh, what you have created, and, and, and I, I, I'm a big advocate, and I think every right-thinking human and civil rights advocate, or every right-thinking American, should be advocates for less lethal or less than lethal or non-lethal alternatives. Every, there's just no reason why every police officer in America that carries a gun should not also carry a bowler wrap or some form of technology that will allow them 
to subdue a suspect, particularly someone who is critical, someone who is in crises, they should have a, a, a gun as well as a bowler wrap or something like that and a body camera. We should do that. It's just, it should be not an argument and what we will be advocating in terms of public policy in local communities and at the federal level is requiring every police department to make certain that every law enforcement professional in our country had, that carries a gun must also carry a body camera and some form of non-lethal uh, alternative. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to what you said, Dove, you know, it, 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 the old phrase, if everybody has a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Exactly. So you have to bring experience. You mentioned the SEALs and the training. So, you know, when adrenaline kicks in, people don't realize tunnel vision occurs, you don't hear things, you aren't seeing things, you do revert back to what's been trained. And mm -hmm. that's where to, to what Reverend says, even as we entrain the psychology and the communication and the interaction, we need to do that bringing stress. Stress changes everything. You know, the, my mom, who I just talked about, she now has Alzheimer's. And I did watch her in my house just a couple of years ago attack my dad. We picked up 911, the police show up, and the last thing we wanted to see was them hurt my mom, but she clearly needed help. She clearly wasn't, uh, you know, acting logical. And you're looking at the tools that are available to them to get them that help. And that's, you know, there just aren't great tools out there. And if I can comment once on the UK, I work very closely with the United Kingdom as they looked at, uh, you know, still 95% of the officers don't want to be armed, but no. 90 plus percent of them want a non-lethal weapon. And the reason is the number one thing that's hurting officers in the UK, knife attacks. Knives. Yeah. Right. And, and, yep. and knives are a, I mean, it's tens of thousands of mm -hmm attacks annually and that is going through the roof so whether it's a gun a knife the intent is still what the reverend said earlier what you said it's the intent you know i yes. think pencil to hurt you and what we've gotten away from is that human interaction of okay i don't understand you i'm fearful of you that goes to back to animal instinct of protection right yeah if i know you i'm probably not going to have that interaction of that he's here to hurt me or here to do some harm so while we're bringing the technology of the tools together, we have to integrate it with the technology of how do we get those officers to go through this in a stressful scenario to see what that response is going to be. And then I agree completely with Reverend Markle, the psychology, you know, if they're doing this and repeatedly out in these scenarios where they're experiencing this over and over and over again, it is going to change them. I mean, and that is a fact. It is a studied fact. I think if you look at, if I remember the study correct, if you look at an officer that he actually had to shoot and kill somebody, they usually are out of that career within less than two years. I think Absolutely. the psychology yeah. of having to pull that trigger and take a life, even though they're doing their job, whether you talk to military, it's post-traumatic stress syndrome, all of those things, you at the end of the day took somebody's life. And yep. that, that is the most powerful decision in the world that this officer doesn't get a whole lot of training around the psychology of the event but they live with that and wake up with that every day, as does the family. And that goes back to the community relations that we're talking about right now. And, and I, I add to that, Tom, I, I can't agree more, but I, I add to that when the officers are seeing and dealing with people in local communities, 
oftentimes they're African-American or they're Hispanic. And a lot of these white officers don't have a wide circle of African-American or Hispanic friends or people that are just different than they are. But if mm -hmm. the people that you're dealing with and you're making arrest uh, and you're arresting and, and you're seeing them in stressful situations, you absolutely will develop a psychological subconscious uh, profile and it will cause you to see everyone that looks like them as as having some similarities to the people that you're arresting if you don't have some psychological some uh, alternatives to to see people that you are policing differently than the criminals that you're arresting on a day-to-day -day basis which is why police community engagement is so critical not just for the benefit of the officers but for the no. benefit of the communities, the vast and overwhelming majority of the people that police officers see on a day-to-day -day basis and they interact with, they're making some form of arrest. They're in a stressful situation. And I think that until we cause law enforcement professionals to be able to experience the humanity in the communities and with the particular demographics of the people that they're policing, we'll continue to see these kinds of tragic situations to, to, to occur. Yeah, I agree with you both. Um, I want to talk about, I want actually uh, for Tom to tell us a little bit about what the bowler wrap is, because I think it's important that people understand what we're actually talking about here and, and moving to a non-lethal restraining process. Um, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're already at the end of our first part of this highly binge-worthy episode of Curiosity Bites. Um, and I am here, of course, with the Reverend Markel Hutchins and with Tom Smith. We'll be back. Uh, make sure you come back to us and stay tuned to Curiosity Bites. We'll see you on part two.